from the middle of America, welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. Covering local market data, news, and reports to arm you with information you need to empower your investing and strengthen your American rights. Top Realtor, investor, husband, father, and veteran. Here is your host, Landon Witt. For more information and to listen or watch online, visit OKCRealEstateShow.com. Welcome to episode 90 of the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. On today's show, we're talking about Amazon's expansion, expanding over 1 million square foot in just one warehouse alone, not to mention the other five buildings Amazon has committed post-COVID to installing in Oklahoma City. We're also going to dive into Costco buying an old 32,000-square-foot office building that Hertz had to move potentially an administrative headquarters here to Oklahoma City. Let's jump right into it and uh, talk a little bit about these top uh, headlines today. When we've got... Uh, Amazon, uh, first off, opening this distribution center north of Southwest 89th, which is just right next to where their current distribution center is. Um, mega online retailer Amazon is planning yet another huge facility in Oklahoma City, this time just over 1 million square foot. OKC Talk was first to report Amazon's sortation facility at Southwest 15th and Council in early 2017 and in April of 2018. They also broke the news of their current 2.5 million square foot fulfillment center, which opened in 2019. A lot of you remember us talking about that on the show. The latest facility will be immediately north of the current fulfillment center and will be a non-sort facility, one that handles large items brought through their website. Similar Amazon warehouses of this type employ approximately 1,200 workers. Plans call for two, a two-level building along with over 100 parking spaces for employees and storage for hundreds of trucks. Checking out some of the layouts here, um, you've got pretty straightforward, okay? But let's look at the other six facilities and just kind of give an idea of where these are kind of are going down and just just to encompass this whole feeling of large companies investing in Oklahoma City. Okay, now if we look at this Amazon map here, and for those on listening on the podcast, I'm going to describe this. So we have a, a facility distribution going in at, uh, let's see, north of Will Rogers Airport, and then the two main facilities on the southeast side. Now, if we got OKC5, that is another uh, sortation facility, and then a distribution, which is a smaller distribution, over near Edmond on east, uh, or on I-35, just south of I-44. So where I-35 and I-44 connect on the northeast side of Oklahoma City, you have a distribution there, and then one right next to Tinker Air Force Base near Dell City off of I-240, okay, southeast side. Some important things to note about Amazon's investment in the town, and that is they believe that there's going to be even more um, 
dra- our pull on the website, more orders, and that comes from more demand from people in Oklahoma City, i.e. population growth. Amazon is doubling down in the Oklahoma City area. Good to see big companies like that doing this. Now, getting over to our, our other topic, Costco planning to buy the Hertz office building. Hertz recently filed for bankruptcy protection, but months earlier had commenced consolidating employees to their property on Northwest Expressway with the expectation that all would be out of that all of them would be out this spring. This would leave the 225,000 square foot four-story building completely vacant. Costco had previously announced plans to open an operations center in Oklahoma City and has been working with the city and state officials on a deal which would include public incentives exchange for creating over 1,000 new jobs. Through the Greater Oklahoma City Chamber of Commerce, Costco has issued an alert to a local commercial real estate brokers seeking 32,000 square foot of office space, indicating that they preferred to lease but would consider a purchase. In May 11th, they presented this to the Oklahoma City Economic Development Trust, and a Costco spokeswoman said that they were in the process of completing a purchase contract on a local building, and that information would be public in approximately two weeks. In that same meeting, Costco revealed that 90% of the workload at the center would be for their growing e-commerce business, and the remainder would involve their travel services. Costco also revealed that they had looked at New Mexico and Nevada before deciding on Oklahoma. The average salary on the site would just would be just under 60,000 plus generous benefits. Okay. So, big players like Costco who owns over 800 retail stores throughout the globe decides on Oklahoma City with their average salary of their employees being $60,000. Interesting to note that our median income for Oklahoma City is right at about $54,000 a year for a family, putting your Costco employee at the above median salary for the city, meaning that you can stretch your dollars, as we all know, pretty far in Oklahoma City, which is why you would want to hire administrative support in a town like Oklahoma, you can pay less and have a higher quality of life for the employees, especially when it has to do with e-commerce that doesn't really worry or concern itself for where people live. This and more is really putting a lot of uh, interest in Oklahoma City uh, because, again, it's part of this third wave new, what we call AB, after bandwidth, this new way of thinking where I can live wherever I want and telecommute into my office via Zoom and these other type of um, online deals, making cities in the Midwest and in the South highly desirable as people are moving from Florida, California, New York to Oklahoma City, okay? So, We've talked about that, and now I want to talk a little bit about, uh, and I'm going to roll the tape, by the way, from Steve Case, which is uh, the AOL founder on his whole third wave philosophy. And then we're also going to look at one other investment firm that's doing um, a venture capitalist 
in the Midwest, and he talks really mainly about Ohio and Michigan, but we often get grouped in the Midwest in Oklahoma, even though we're technically in the South, but we're really on that that middle where we look at geographically, we're really in the middle of Oklahoma. So if you live here and you've got a tech company, you can get on a flight and be to either coast in equal time. You can be in Texas very quickly. You can be in Michigan very quickly or Chicago market. So in terms of being centrally located, within a couple of hours' time on a 500-knot jet, you can be right where you need to be if you even need to be anywhere. And in the meantime, you can enjoy incredible uh, internet uh, with our fiber optic center, I think, is in Dallas. But now with the advent of 5G technology, um, which, by the way, AT&T has unveiled 5G in Oklahoma City with Verizon trailing them to come out with 5G in Oklahoma City. So if you want the 5G technology, you're going to need to switch to um, AT&T for Oklahoma City. But that's good for residents and employees and people working and living in Oklahoma City who've got access to some of that advanced stuff that, let's say, a town like Dallas, which Dallas, you know, was a flurry of economic activity being one of the hubs of the Internet, where uh, Internet bandwidth is its highest at some of these huge hubs. So all that's to say these are more reasons why the gains we're experiencing on appreciation gains in Oklahoma City um, are still going to keep going. Um, I want to pull up some some metrics, but why I pull up the metrics, I want to talk to you guys about the um, the uh, vacancy or the eviction issues that Trump issued, saying, you know, you're not going to be evicted till January. I've had a couple of investors asking about that. What does that mean? How do we deal with this? Uh, what are we looking at for that? And the short answer is you really have to have a tenant that is pretty high speed and works pretty hard to to uh, jump through the hoops that are required to get the CARES Act eviction um, extensions, okay? And typically, the person that is a month to three months behind on rent is not that person. So we had an instance uh, just this last 30 days where I took on a duplex portfolio that needed to sell, and one of the tenants, come to find out, was three months late on their rent, and we, during our inspections to check out the home for um repairs that might be needed immediately upon arriving there the 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 place just absolutely was destroyed it was it reeked of of animal feces there was tons of cats tons of dogs uh, that weren't on the lease in the property and we ended up having to uh evict them but uh, we didn't have to evict them, and here's why. The current property manager had sent out a five-day eviction notice, which is standard for Oklahoma City. Now, with the CARES Act, if your property is going through Fannie Mae, Fannie, or Freddie Mac, or any 30-year government-backed loan, you qualify, or your tenant qualifies for the CARE Act, which is in, you have to give them a 30-day notice. However, the property manager had only given them a five-day notice, and when they called about the five-day eviction notice, the property manager just said, oh, no, we're not actually going to evict you. We just wanted to get your attention so you could pay your rent. And they paid about 25% of the balance that they owed, and the property manager just 
let him stay there. Not the owner had no idea, first off, that the property manager had even done this arrangement or that they were even that far behind. So we got involved on the sale of that property, and I called them and I said, uh, listen, that five-day notice that you received back in August that we would evict you in 30-day or five-day notice, now I've extended that, and now they require 30-day notice, and we're going to backdate it. Now, I called the judge, and I uh, called the courthouse, and the courthouse said no. You actually can't do that. You have to resend another eviction notice, right? And now you have to give them a full new 30 days. But in the mind of the tenant, I'm just asking them as a person-to-person to vacate the building so we can sell it. And that's the way I presented it to them, was that, hey... Um, we've got a new buyer and they're going to be renovating this property for a new family to move in and uh, you need to be out by September 2nd. And she said, well, um, I, I, I don't, I, where am I going to find a place to live? At that point, it was two and a half weeks notice, really. And I said, unfortunately, uh, we're not going to be re-signing the lease. They were month to month. They were already 30 days late or 90 days late. And I basically presented it in a way to where you need to be out on the second or else we're going to file charges against you. Vacate the building and we're, we're going to move new tenants in there. And I basically gave them a no choice. Like I just said, you need to be out by September 2nd. And that resulted in them just believing me. And they worked on it and <laughs> September 2nd, they were gone. Is that illegal? No, that's not illegal. Our lease says 30-day notice. You got It's a month-to-month at that point. So if your tenants are outside their lease month-to-month, which many of our tenants are, many people get to that point where they're month-to-month and they don't re-sign them, well, 30-day notice and, and you're out. You know, There's no provisions for that. It's holdovers. So what I'm trying to get at is it was the way that this was presented to the tenant that mattered most, okay? They had kids living in a crappy environment. They had, they had really destroyed the place, and we really could have gone after them for everything. But in this case, the owner wanted to sell the property while the market, uh, while the buyers were trying to buy. We needed the transaction to go through. This was one unit in a set of eight, so we went through and made it happen in that particular case. And I've seen that play out many, many times over. So yes, the CARES Act is there. The law states this. But the, the loopholes that that tenant has to jump through in order to get that legal protection um, is usually not in line with someone who's not paying their rent unless it's someone that's not paying their rent for a really, really real reason. They did get laid off and they're only a short little time behind. But if you just simply explain to the tenant that if they don't pay their rent, you can't pay your mortgage. And if you can't pay your mortgage, it's not me that's going to kick you out, but it's the bank that's going to kick you out. So either case, you're going to be kicked out. So do the right thing and go ahead and move out without having that eviction on your record. And that type of phrasing, that type of wording, if your property manager won't do it, don't be afraid as an owner to go direct and negotiate with this. If you've got negotiation experience, go for that. And if you're selling the property, give me a call. We'll take care of it. Um, Okay, so back to our numbers here. This is the market stats 
for uh, the month of August. I want to try to get this to fit in the screen here. Okay, so days on market. Let's see. This is entire MLS. I want to look at Oklahoma City. Okay, Oklahoma City. One year. Let's do... Um, <laughs> this is our median sales price, 190100 If I look back to five years ago, look at this. Highest it's ever been. Look at this. Uh, right here, you've got the year starting off, March, then uh, COVID hitting the time of uncertainty in May. And then look at this, just climbs from 175 to 187.2. And then again, up in August to 190. But again, if you look at the long haul, we're right in line here, right in line. Let's go to max. Look at that. Ooh, nice sweep. Nice transition. And this is why the rental portfolios are climbing the way they are. The market value is just going up. Look at this month's supply of inventory just plummeting. Plummeting down to 1.4 months supply of inventory in the entire city of Oklahoma. That's 620 square miles down to 1.4 months supply of inventory. And we've got our price per square foot climbing obviously and then uh our homes uh shows to pending let's look at that we're up at 12 look at that 12 12 13 was last in may july was down to 11.5 and now we're up to 12 showing so that's 12 uh people on average should be tracking through your home before we're going um off the market it's good stuff if we look at our total dollar volume highest at 167 million dollars in inventory that is up 25 percent uh let's see year over year uh yeah 25 percent uh since uh well that's just got january so that's just this year that's not accurate um last year in this time august we did 133 million and now we're 167 million this year so good increase, uh, good good change. You can see that year over year changing there on the total dollar volume that Oklahoma City is doing, and this affects our tax, um, our taxes in town too. The higher the the per uh, average uh, sales price is, the the more property taxes and the more incentive this the government then has, hopefully, to reinvest that back in the city. So some good stuff there. Okay, so let's get uh, back to what we were talking about before uh, Central Oklahoma City. Are, are investing in the Midwest and why this is such a big deal. So I want to play two tapes for you back to back. One is uh, Steve Case uh, with um, the founder, you know, co-founder of AOL talking about the third wave of the internet and how that affects location-based business in the future. And this was recorded in 2018, well before um, COVID. And then we're going to look at a, a, a general venture capitalist firm talking about why uh, the East Coast or California was invested in and Boston and Florida, but not the middle of the country and how now investing in the middle of the country is the way and the future uh, and a lot of opportunity, especially with uh, just the, the new minds that are existing here and kind of a different way of thinking, uh, new ideas coming out of the Midwest now. All right, watch and enjoy.
Thanks for listening. We're really trying to figure out ways to level the playing field in terms of opportunities so that everybody everywhere really does feel like they have a shot at the American dream. And right now, if you look at where investment goes, where venture capital goes, it's really to the few folks in, on the coast. Last year, 75% of venture capital went to just three states, California, New York, and Massachusetts. So the other 47 states fight over 25%. Uh, and so we're doing a lot of things with our Rise the Rest initiative to try to get more venture capital hands and more of the entrepreneurs in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Michigan and other parts of the country. And Opportunity Zones really could be a game changer because it's really saying to investors who haven't really been paying attention to a lot of the uh, opportunities in the, in the middle of the country that maybe now is the time to invest in, in these communities. And exactly how it works and how it plays out, it's still hard to say because it's early. The law just passed fairly recently. The rules are still being written. But we really do believe Opportunity Zones can really help level the playing field and get more investment capital that's sitting on the coast investing in the communities in the middle of the country. And some of those investments will lead to some of the breakout companies that create hundreds, maybe thousands of jobs and really lift up those you know, communities. The whole interest in the Rise of Rest goes back a little bit to the early days of AOL. We started AOL over uh, three decades ago outside of Washington, D.C. In, in Northern Virginia. In that first wave of the internet, just getting everybody online, we were in the D.C. area. Companies like Dell were in Austin. Microsoft actually started in Albuquerque before moving to Seattle. IBM's PC operations were in Boca Raton, Florida. Sprint, the communications company, was in, in Kansas City. That first wave of the internet was regionally dispersed. It's really only the last 15 or 20 years, the second wave of the internet, apps and services being built on top of the internet where Silicon Valley rose, rose to prominence, really dominance. We think in this third wave in the internet, when the internet really starts impacting healthcare and education and food and agriculture, that's where it's going to shift again and there'll be a lot of opportunities regionally, but only if the venture capitalists on the coast pay attention to the entrepreneurs in the middle of the country. So that led to this Rise of the Rest initiative we launched about five years ago. We've done seven road trips across the country, we visited 38 cities. So we're just trying to tell their stories. We're trying to, we invest in those companies. We try to to get other investors to pay attention and join us in investing in those companies. And I think people will be surprised over the next decade as the rest rise and, and some of the breakout successes of the third wave of the internet won't be on the coast, they will be in the middle of the country. I understand you grew up in Cincinnati uh, and you now focus on investing in Midwest startups, but in between uh, your investing career now, you left the Midwest. Why are you back in Columbus? You know, the short of it is that, you know, growing up as a kid in Ohio, I was interested in technology. I was interested in, in computers and, and everything that was out there. And so I, I got to Silicon Valley as fast as I could and was most recently a partner at Sequoia Capital and had this amazing vantage point on what was a super exciting time to be an investor in companies that were coming through Sequoia routinely, where it was Airbnb, it was Dropbox, it was Instagram, it was you know, a whole bunch of enterprise companies too. It was, it was just such a wonderful place to be. One of the things that happened though was that it, what investors were investing in fundamentally shifted. So in my very first partner meeting at Sequoia, I'll never forget it, sitting around in a room, and there was a company on the agenda, and we loved, we loved the company. However, it was based 10 miles north of San Francisco in a town called Petaluma. And so the partnership passed on it, just for that reason. And the reason for that was, in, this was 2006. In 2006, if you wanted to build any kind of technology service or application, 
you had to build the whole thing, like all the way down to the server racks. And, you know, some companies were even going down to the silicon level to put together a hardware infrastructure to, to offer that application. Fast forward to today, you would never do that because Jeff Bezos came out and said, here, I'm going to give you that infrastructure with as much or as little as you want. As long as you have an internet connection and a credit card, you can build this. And so that kind of had this fundamental shift in technology, like this big, like one of these big macroeconomic shifts. And what it meant was you no longer had to put your company in Silicon Valley. You know, now you could put your company in Munich or you could put it in Ohio or you could put it in China or wherever. And this was a big deal at Sequoia because here was a firm that historically invested exclusively within a bicycle ride of the office, was now opening funds in, um, in India, in China, in Israel, a uh, global growth fund, you know, because the theory was while the majority the market cap in technology had been built in Silicon Valley in the last 20 years. In the next 20 years, the majority would be built outside of Silicon Valley. And while we were doing this, out of just coincidence, one of my, my partners at Sequoia, Mark Kwame, was asked by John Kasich in 2010 to come out and join his cabinet. And so Mark comes out, joins the, the Kasich cabinet, and I expected him to come back within six months because I knew what Ohio was like. And you know, I know what Mark is like, and he's a Silicon Valley venture capitalist. So I was surprised when I was out for work in Columbus and we caught up over dinner. And he asked me what was going on at Sequoia. I caught him up and I said, what's going on in Ohio? I was like, how long are you, how long are you gonna stay here? And he was like, I actually don't think I'm gonna leave. And I was, like, I, was, I was like, what? And he's like, in fact, I think this is the next Silicon Valley. And you should leave Sequoia. And you should start the venture firm in the Midwest. And I was like, Mark, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. But he asked me, he's like, well, what are you looking at now? And at the time, we were evaluating all these other economies around the world. We were looking at Turkey. We were looking at uh, you know, a bunch of places. And he's like, well, what if Ohio was a country? Like, what's the GDP of Ohio? And I was like, well, I have no idea. I've never thought about it that way. Um, and suddenly, I started looking up the data. And every time I looked up a piece of information, the opposite of my perception borne out in the data. So, you know, here was the Midwest. It would be actually the fourth largest economy in the world. It's bigger than Brazil. It's bigger than Russia. It's bigger than India. It has all these engineers, more engineers graduate from Midwest universities than any other corner of the world on an annual basis. You have 150 of the Fortune 500 companies here. So you had all these raw ingredients. So that started to, to kind of, you know, gnaw at me. And that became this trend in my head of like, oh my gosh, like maybe the most exciting emerging market in venture is America. Like, why don't we go there? And why don't we go and invest in that? And so, you know, it kind of dawned on me at one point, if I did this, then, you know, what's, what are the odds that, that it fails? Like pretty high. Um, and then it kind of dawned on me, but, but what if we're right? If we're right, then you can build multi-billion dollar technology companies in Columbus or Detroit or Chicago. And here we were, this would be the biggest economic shift in America since the advent of the Industrial Revolution. 
This could be the, the opportunity for America to upgrade the entire economy on, from a knowledge economy to a technology economy in places outside of San Francisco. And we could do what Sequoia did in 1972 by going to California when everyone said you got to go to Boston. We could do that today and we could build the market defining firm here in the region. So that was what got me excited. And, and here we are today, six years later. For more information and to listen or watch online, visit OKCRealEstateShow.com.